All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour of this show. They are American Manganese, Bank, uh, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp., Entertopia Corporation, Go West Limited, Smash Minerals Corporation, and Trevally Mining Corporation. Well, after our discussion of theology with Mr. Bugliosi, uh, I felt it would be a good time to have Arch Crawford back to let us know what he believes the heavenly bodies are telling us, uh, as well as uh, what he sees in the markets, um, based on more standard technical analysis. And Arch is a superb technical analyst, as well uh, as his discipline in astrology. Uh, Arch, uh, welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you. Really good to uh, have you on. I hope you're keeping cool down there in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, yes, it's beginning to get up into the... It starts off at 58 and goes up to like 94 at this point, and it's expected to hit 100 in the next week or so. Well, 100, but it's 100 of dry heat, and when we get 80, 90 degrees... 90 degrees in New York, I think, is hotter than 110 in Arizona sometimes, but... Well, but after I mean, it gets over 105, it doesn't matter where you are. It's, well, it burns your legs when you get back in the car. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been there and done that. Um, I... I um, I rather like the more moderate temperatures, I, th- I think, for me. And uh, I know some people really, really enjoy the heat, but uh, I would, I would prefer the Southwest. If my wife would agree, we maybe we would go down there and live around Tucson because I, th- I like the desert. But anyway, well, three quarters of the year is quite nice. It's just the one quarter uh, uh, during the hottest uh, season, and of course, a good chunk of the population leaves here at that time. June, July, and August. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, you often use astrology as as uh, one of many inputs into your thinking about which way markets are going to go and um, just, you know, other big events. Um, I'm not sure if it's just my impression uh, or if statistics would bear this out, but it seems as though over the past year or two we've had many more than the usual number of severe natural disasters. We've had a number of severe earthquakes. Of course, the biggest and most noteworthy and most damaging was the 9.0 in Japan, which then brought a horrendous tsunami with it, uh, and the nuclear disaster, of course, that came with that. But we've had tornadoes um, in the Midwest recently, lots and lots of very, very vicious tornadoes, big, widespread tornadoes, not just the the tiny little uh, funnel tunnels that come along. Lots of floods and everything. Anything that uh, you see relating to this in the 
you know, in the heavenly bodies? Oh, yes. Uh, last year we were talking about the cardinal climax where there were the greatest number of uh, planetary alignments in opposition and square and conjunction with each other uh, at zero degree of the cardinal signs, which is the most powerful point in the zodiac according to astrologers. Now, I just do a statistical analysis, so I don't know about that, but I did run, for instance, uh, when Mars changes signs, uh, and uh, it, it is, does make a pattern that is quite uh, interesting, so that the entry into the zero of a new sign does make a statistical difference in the prices on Wall Street. But anyway, there was this huge alignment that is probably the biggest thing that we've seen in all of written history that we have remaining, you know, five to 10,000 years. And um, we didn't have much happening at that time in the markets, but there were these natural disasters. There were 20 million people thrown out of their homes in Pakistan and China by water floods hmm. uh, when that was actually happening. And then the eclipses that came up in uh, December, January of uh, that last year, this year. Also, there was uh, 22 cities or towns underwater in Australia. Hmm. So yeah. every time this thing gets hit, there's seem to be more uh, natural disasters, not to mention the eclipse series. And, uh, mm -hmm. um, and when we had those, the, the big... Uh, the big um, earthquake and all the problems in Japan happened on the day that Uranus went into Aries for the first time in 84 years. Mm. Or not the first time, but, but mm. it went in to stay for the first time in 84 years. Mm. Interesting. <clears throat> so La I The last time it went in on that day, I think GE started a... Um, a, a experimental television station and sent the first TV pictures on the day that Uranus went into Aries, which is, you know, that would uphold some of the things that astrologers think about Uranus. But um, mm -hmm. I, as the calculations go, um, Uranus does is statistically more meaningful in, happen, in natural disasters and in very sudden unexpected shocks. Mm -hmm. even in the markets. Mm -hmm. I might uh, remind our listeners that, that Archie, you are saying that there's, <clears throat> you're not pretending to know <clears throat> and understand the cause and effect. You just, you just really basically are looking at relationships between when some of these unusual uh, occurrences in the heavenly bodies take place and then when things take place on Earth. You're not trying to say that or even use it as a, as a strong predictor, but it is one of many uh, input data points that you use um, to help you be aware or to help to try to perceive what might be coming uh, towards us in the future, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> when these uh, large alignments occur, it will knock out every, every other thing, uh, including technical charts sometimes. But um, in terms of normal flow of things, uh, if, if we're getting an alignment of planets relative to the sun such that they trigger the sunspot activity and then the sunspot activity hits the earth near the time of a new or full moon which is a high tidal force 
um, then we get the most destructive things happening on the earth. Mm-hmm. And the higher the tidal force, the more destructive. Um, now, we had that event in Japan on the, I think it was the 11th of March. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, I think it was the 19th, that was a, uh, it was a um, extremely high tide full moon mm-hmm. on the 19th. And uh, it, several people had been predicting earthquakes in that time frame mm-hmm. a little before, a little after you know, give you a certain leeway. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you um, you and I were talking the other day about the 60-year cycle and how that relates to tornadoes. We've had a lot of extremely destructive tornadoes in the United States. Would you care to talk about that for a minute? Well, I hadn't done any research on those. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember in the news they said, you know, when the uh, death toll went above a certain number, they said, you know, they had been saying it was the worst in 60 years, and then they said this is the worst in written history in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's gone from just the 60 years to as far as they've been keeping records. I don't know how long that is. Well, I know that Ian Gordon, who's been on this show a couple of, two, three times at least, three, four times perhaps, likes to talk about W.D. GAN and GAN's 10-year cycles, and I guess they run in 10 years. And Ian is, is looking at, in fact, the, the bigger stock market picture in terms of GAN cycles. Do you? Do you uh, pay any attention to W.D. Gann and his work? Well, nobody knows what Gann did astrologically. Mm-hmm. Billy Jones, who had, uh, who bought Gann's work from the widow, had boxes and boxes of technical charts, price action charts, with astrological notations all over them. But in the seven books that Gann wrote, he only mentioned a couple of things about the planets. One, he said, watch... Um, the eclipse points, and he also said to watch the equinoxes and solstices and the halfway day between the two. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started noticing the full uh, eclipses on the equinoxes and solstices have been the really, really big years in the stock market, tops Mm. and bottoms. Mm. Interesting. So that was, (laughs) you know, 1982. I think it was 62 we had the crash, and in 87, in 82 we had the low. In um, 87 we had the, uh, an eclipse on the fall equinox, um, and that was between the high and the crash in 87. And uh, another one was in 2001, June, uh, the summer solstice, there was an eclipse, and we had the, the towers and the and the crash following that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, in your May newsletter, you talked about several technical and fundamental measures that, uh, in your estimation, do not bode well for the market. For example, you talked about insider, insider tra- uh, transaction ratios. Could you perhaps talk to our listeners about that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> Well, the number went in this one week from very slightly bullish to the most extreme negative that we've seen in at least a couple of years on the chart. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found that just in watching the inside of transactions that, or in in many of these indicators, when there's a large one-week change, Mm -hmm. that will put in the top. Mm -hmm. 
And this was written, of course, uh, May 2nd, and that was the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so that was the insider transactions went... Uh, and we were talking here, yeah. A, a, a terrible really, flip-flop. Yeah. The, uh, on the same week, the, the cash in the Ridex money funds uh, had already dropped to a new low for the last few years, and then it spiked much lower mm. even on that week which is uh, also the week of the top. And mm. then there's the, the VIX, which chart is not in the newsletter, uh, which was down to 14.62, I think it was, at the low, maybe 14.92, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the volatility of the, on the Chicago Options Exchange. Mm-hmm. And that got down to an extreme low that we had seen two or three times, and every time it was a significant top. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are so, the technical factors behind um, what I think think is going on. Now we are no longer in the crash cycle, the Mars Uranus. I, I did a study some years ago, and I found that the I did many studies and found that the Mars Uranus cycle, which is only about two years, that every crash in the last hundred years had taken place um, in the same forty percent of that cycle. Now that's a huge uh, statement, mm-hmm. um, and of course we do not have a crash every two years. You have to have a technical and and or fundamental uh, reason to kick off such an event as that. Uh, but you, sometimes you can see it coming, and if you're watching out technically, and you get a technical signal during the period where the crash is more likely, then you go with that. And I've gone with that and predicted in my total career on Wall Street, uh, four crashes that had happened. I forget if the 2008 one was the fifth one. Mm -hmm. With the Mars Uranus. Yes. Well, I had said uh, in 2008, early in 2008, that uh, when the Mars Uranus crash cycle becomes active August the 6th, neither Wall Street nor the government will be able to hold the market up against that deluge. Uh-huh. And August 6th, <laughs> as I recall, Russia attacked Georgia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, that, that sort of put in the top in the next few days from that. And uh-huh. uh, then we started down, and of course, uh, the, I had predicted also that the worst day for a possible crash would be October 10th, and that was the morning we opened down 800 points, mm. and there were the that was the maximum number of new 52-week uh, lows on the New York Stock Exchange of that whole period. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, you, you talk about the VIX, and I have to remember, I, I was uh, on a panel discussion, actually, in New York with Ian McAvity, who, by the way, will be our guest next week uh, on this show. And, Ian, uh, the question was asked of each of us what we were most bullish on. And Ian said, and this was, you know, just a few weeks ago, about the time that the VIX uh, hit its low, Ian said uh, he was going to be bullish on volatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I guess, so where is the VIX reading now? Has it bounced up a lot from where it was? Uh, it's bounced up a little and back and went back down. Right now it's uh-huh. 15.46 uh-huh. from a low of about 14 and small change. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let, let me ask you, Arch, it, it what are you... Uh, 20 and then backed off to uh, a little lower than it is now, maybe 14 and a half, 14.6. Okay. And ticked up just a little bit to 15.46 now. So it hasn't really gone anywhere yet. Um, no. But... Um, but clearly, it's a it's a quiet time, and you look around the world and see all the problems in the in the various financial markets, including uh, Europe, and and of course here, where the housing market continues to to decline. Uh, is there anything you're particularly bullish on right now? I would uh, stick with the gold and silver because they're still in accelerating positions, and maybe the oil as well. But. Uh, um, I'm the most bearish on uh, fiat currencies. Mm -hmm. So, number one, I would have uh, a mixture of currencies. Number two, I would have some cash at home in case the banks go out for two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. And uh, other than that, I would have uh, things that are worth real money. Um, I would say, you know, the simplest things are, you know, gold coins and and silver, uh, circulated silver coins and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or gold bars if you can afford that kind of thing. But you're not going to be able to spend the gold bar very easily. No. We may but, need an old silver dime to buy a loaf of bread or, yeah, or exactly. a car. I don't know how, how bad it's going to get. <laughs> Well, Arch, um, let, let me ask you: What about the dollar? Then you're you, you're you're bearish on you're uh, very bearish on fiat currencies. But Jim Lyles was talking at the conference about I think it's seventy one thirty eight, which was hit. I think the the all time low might have been in nineteen seventy eight or something like that on the index. And Jim was suggesting that if we violate that, it's Katie bar the door for the dollar. Well, the low in the last 20 years was um, 71. Oh, 1971? Okay. No, 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 no. 71 price on the dollar index. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and, Jim talked about 71.38, so uh-huh. that's about right. And his and he's sort of a deflationist. He was on this show, actually, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm listening to what he has to say at the conference in Phoenix, and I'm listening to him say, basically, he's sort of a deflationist, and I'm sort of agreeing with him to an extent. But then he says, but if we violate that on the dollar, on the dollar index, it's going to go the other way, and it's going to go the other way very rapidly. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, actually, there's a huge triangle pattern that already broke down, and um, so this is like the last, you know, uh, little thing to hold on to, mm-hmm. uh, and that occurred actually late in 2010, 20, t- 2009, excuse me, right before <coughs> December, either last week of November, the first week, a couple of weeks of December of '09. And uh, no, that was seventy four, and that one has already broken. And then we popped back up to uh, seventy six and a half or so uh-huh. last week, and we've been down and accelerating every day since then. Since that high, it came right up just under the one hundred day moving average on the dollar index, and has backed off and has just started accelerating to the downside again. So the only thing that will save the dollar right now is if Greece goes belly up any day. Yeah. And then there's usually a rush to the dollar because it is still perceived as a lot more solid than a lot of other things. Yeah. The thing is, I think it's uh, it's good until it's not. 
Yeah, that's 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 what Jim was saying essentially. So what you're saying is that this may be one of the last opportunities to take this fiat currency and buy something that's real. Yeah. So do you see the possibility of an acceleration, a dollar collapse that quickly goes to towards zero within the next year or two or months or what? Um, it could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it will happen within two to three years, mm-hmm. um, and that. There is doubt about all fiat currency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I believe that we will have a, a deflation, which means that things, assets on the books of major banks and financial institutions in particular and everywhere else in general, the value will um, will go down, or they've already gone down and they haven't written them off yet. You know, the, yeah. the stuff on the banks... Uh, books, they allow them to keep on at what they bought it. Right, exactly. <clears throat> they're not marked to market anymore. Right, because they're all broke. They're all <clears throat> bankrupt if mm-hmm. they market yeah. to market. Yeah. And because yeah. the last trades were like twenty to forty cents on that stuff. Right, right. So it's a it's a sorry it's a sorry picture, and people should take this as a warning and, and a possibility of maybe one of the last. Last times that you can take your money and and buy some tangibles, obviously starting with gold and silver. Right. Aren't you, and uh, one of the real things that people are buying now is um, um, farmland mm-hmm. uh, because the food situation is becoming critical. Sure, absolutely. Or worldwide. <clears throat> absolutely, we're talking about tangible assets that cannot be inflated away once you own them. Of course, governments can do anything they want. We know that they have the guns. And uh, unfortunately, our government is taking advantage of its power and its guns against its own people in many, many ways these days. It's a sad commentary. Uh, Arch, unfortunately, we're out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have to say goodbye this time, but we certainly want to have you back sometime soon uh, yeah, for your insights. Say, watch out for the eclipses June 1st, which I think is tomorrow. Okay. June 15th and... Uh, either the last day of June or the first day of July. I think it's July 1st. Okay, well, just take a moment to tell us what, what you think could, that could mean. Um, well, it's just potential turning points or For potential markets. disaster points. Okay, all right. Uh, if it's natural disasters or if it'll happen something in the market, I'm not looking for a crash, but that doesn't mean you can't have a down market. Okay, folks, it's uh, Crawford Perspectives is the name of Archie's newsletter. You should really check it out. Archie, there's a website they can go to. Can you tell them where it is? CrawfordPerspectives.com or Google simply Crawford Perspectives or just Arch Crawford. And it'll, the first one or two or three will take you to my website. Excellent. It's worth doing, folks. Uh, check Arch's work out. It's very, very interesting. And, Arch, you had... The distinction of being the number one timer, I think, last year or the year before that. Uh, 2008, the year of the crash. Okay, excellent. And I was number two in 2002. Mm-hmm. Well, that tells you something, folks, because there's a lots of newsletter writers out there, and most of us never make it to those lofty levels. So thank you very much, Arch, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. Roger Wiegand is going to be with us uh, for some of his ideas on the markets and where he thinks you can make money, especially in the commodity markets. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. Very good. Thank you, Arch. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. 
Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNN. SX Exchange. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm here with my partner, Roger Wiegand, one of two partners. Chen Lin is actually uh, was in Manhattan today um, uh, visiting, a very, uh, visiting with the CEO of a very interesting, very profitable uh, oil company that I'm going to be talking to my subscribers about during uh, in my weekly newsletter. But Roger is here, uh, one of two partners, and um, Roger is going to have some very interesting things to tell us as well about the commodity space. Welcome, Roger. Good. Good afternoon, Jay. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you as well. And uh, you put out a missive to your uh, to your subscribers today. Perhaps you want to just tell our listeners something about that. The uh, the holiday weekend, Jay. We thought uh, two things were what were going to happen. We're running into the end of the month, May, and we had the four day holiday weekend. A lot of people took off on Friday, and then stayed away until this Tuesday morning, and uh, that split up a gold cycle, a gold rally, a silver rally, and we had an idea that. It could very well stop because of the holiday and because of the end of the month being today, May 31st. That didn't happen. The other option in which we did present previously was that uh, things could continue and do better after this big four- or five-day break, and sure enough, they did. Not only that, but while the U.K. and the United States was closed down for trading uh, over this holiday weekend, Asia opened up nicely. And gold had a nice pop, uh, like 20 bucks. It did come back a little bit. We are now uh, trading in the August futures contract. We stepped out of the uh, June the June contract, and the new pattern uh, changed abruptly when we looked at the August gold contract. It looks much more positive now. Uh, the continuation triangle pattern, which is very common after a five-wave rally, which we did get. Uh, that's all done. Uh, now we got a new breakout on gold. Uh, the price legs are rising, but they're not that big. But they are steady. They came in, came up from like 1490, 1495, up to about 1542.50 resistance. So that is our new gold resistance for everybody to keep a note on: 1542 dollars and 50 cents. Our next objective would be 1548. Silver. Uh, did a little better today on this last day of May, up 1.6%, uh, $38.48. Our previous objective, say three weeks ago, was 42.85. We backed off to 41.85. Uh, and since this new rally, Jay, has moved forward since the holiday, I think that silver now can resume its climb along with gold, and I think we can get to that 41.85. Uh, our traders, investors, and listeners should keep in mind that between about the 15th or maybe the third week of June, all the way forward in the summer to the middle of August, we're going to be seeing a choppy market, as we usually get. Seasonally very choppy in July and August, but we can get one mini rally in gold and silver roughly in the middle of July. Uh, folks should keep in mind that when a gold and silver rally begins, the gold rally is typically six weeks from the bottom to the top, back to the bottom again, before a new wave starts. So that's where we are right now. The U.S. dollar, of course, is a major influence on all of this, and the dollar today is in the red at 74.65. It's down uh, half a point. On the other hand, bonds went up. The long bonds went up to 126. The Swiss franc is up 
way up. It's up at a new new high of 117.26. It did touch a high today of 118.11. If it keeps going like this, the old joke is a Big Mac hamburger in Zurich is going to be 20 bucks. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Uh, but that's that's the fear and security run toward the Swiss franc. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is a fiat currency, but however, it's the best of the best that's out there right now. Grains were down today. Russia is going to be um, selling some poor quality wheat for animal feed to China. They're going to substitute uh, good corn products uh, for that, which is going to help. The grains generally worldwide are in dire trouble, and it's going to get worse. We're looking at grain rationing probably at the end of this year. Then the other big one in commodities for us, and it's a big driver for our gold and silver, of course, is crude oil. Crude oil today was up over $2, $2.09. Last price, July contract, 102.68. Hit a high of 103.39. That is resistance, 103. Our next big number is 106. Generally, uh, energy, natural gas, and crude oil long, but we're going through a slow period for the next two to four weeks simply because of the cycle time and what time of year it is. Uh, the refineries aren't demanding any more crude. They've got their gasoline build pretty much in line. So consequently, the demand against oil is not that strong, but yet the price did go up $2 today. So that's where we are. Yeah, and maybe some of that has to do with speculation. And again, again it might be an, an anti-currency play, too, the, co- the commodity uh, the commodity space in general, would you say so? Absolutely. That's a very good point, Jay, in that uh, uh, everybody's been wondering what what could, in fact, substitute uh, for the U.S. dollar and other fiat currency. And I made the suggestion at a conference some time ago, what would be wrong with an expression of value as far as a currency being natural gas, crude oil, or both? No. Roger, what is causing the, uh, the turbulence in the grains? Is it weather related or what? Well, it's, uh, it's weather-related, and the corn had a 38-year reserve uh, drawdown. It's the worst it's been in 38 years. We've had very cold weather, a lot of rain. Uh, there's been ma- massive floods throughout the Midwest. And uh, in our pro-farmer letter, we read last week that if they don't get some uh, planting corn done for Ohio, parts of Ohio and the Dakotas, uh, they're going to lose almost a million bushels just in those two places, and that represents only 15%. It could get a lot worse than that. I, I suspect we're going to go into rationing with corn before this year is out, and if not this year, probably next year. Corn prices right now are $7.48 a bushel. Typically through past years, they've been running 250 to 350 so it, it's getting pretty heavy. Is ethanol still an issue? Is that still part of the problem? It's still part of the problem, and there's a, there's a sacrifice of 5 million bushels of good corn product that could be used for food. It's mandated by the government to produce ethanol to go into the, into the gas tanks, and that's been a disaster from day one. It's economically not feasible. It's a foolish waste of corn, which is in bad uh, supply right now. But yet, uh, ethanol is going to continue. It's, yeah, it's mandated by the government. A percentage of ethanol has to go in every gallon at many of the pumps. Yeah. And uh, the futures on <clears throat> ethanol right now are 264. They're kind of flat today. But the other mention, too, on energy is uh, natural gas was fallow. It was just stuck in the mud at 3.5, under 4. 
we're now at 4.66. So natural gas is starting to move. I know in your territory, the East Coast is having a heat wave right now. When that happens, the air conditioners come on. Many of the power plants are running on pure natural gas, and boy, can they burn the gas when that happens. We think natural gas is going to start to climb. Roger, you talk about ethanol, and I wonder why in the world is America, a country that's supposed to be based on free markets, adopting something like something out of the Soviet Union, essentially, where government mandates a certain amount of corn be used to make gasoline. What's the matter with the market mechanism? Obviously, uh, we don't pay much attention to it, nor do we teach our kids in school anything about free markets and how how free markets allocate scarce resources efficiently. So unfortunately, we have somebody in Washington that thinks they know better than the collective wisdom of millions of people making simultaneous decisions in a market how to best... uh, how to, how to most efficiently uh, uh, gear the economy. So <clears throat> a little bit of editorializing on your, on your host point, uh, on, your ho- on your host part there, folks, but uh, I feel very strongly about it, and, and a lot of the things that we're seeing, the problems that we're seeing, the biggest problems we're seeing, all of these bubbles, why do we have bubble economy? We have a bubble economy because we have government sticking its nose and a central bank sticking its nose in the economy and deciding it knows better than the masses of people uh, making simultaneous decisions. So that's where we're at, and that's why we have all this problem. Roger, is there any parting thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners before we conclude this conversation today? Well, you and I are, of course, going to be speakers at the Vancouver Resource Conference this weekend on right. Sunday and Monday. We're looking for a major turnout. Uh, in, in our newsletter, Trader Tracks, I'm going to be revamping my stocks, my stock grid. I'm going to be taking out some things that aren't moving much, put in some new ones, we hope to make 20 to 25% every 90 days, and if a stock sits still for a while, we just take it out. It doesn't mean it's a bad company. It just means it's not moving. And we're also going to put instructions in our letter to elaborate a little bit further on how to interpret our work as far as the stocks. Uh, there's going to be great opportunity this year, Jay, a lot of volatility. The volatility is going to scare people, but if you stay on trend and you control risk, I think we can have a good year. Well, absolutely, and I just might mention again that Ian uh, McAvity is going to be my guest next week, said at the New York Gold Show that volatility is what he's bullish on, so he's agreeing with you there, Roger. Folks, that's all the time we have this segment, but don't go away. Ted Ohashi is going to be with me. He's a fellow member of the Investment Pitch Advisory Board, and uh, Ted has an interesting antimony stock he wants to talk to you about, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Ted Ohashi. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. 
Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of loving ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I've got a raspy throat. Went to uh, the Poconos this weekend, got some bad air conditioning, and I'm struggling my way through it, but my guests have been marvelous. They've talked extremely well, given us a lot of great insights, and I expect nothing less for my next guest, Ted Ohashi. Welcome, Ted. Hey, Jay. Oh, sorry to hear that you're not feeling well, but <clears throat> hopefully you'll be better by the time I see you next week. Feeling pretty good. It's just a raspy voice, which isn't a good thing for a radio host, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like taking a baseball mitt away from a baseball player, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, in any event, Ted, there's a company you wanted to talk about. You've mentioned them before on this show. Yep. Adroit Resources, or Adroit Resources, I yep. guess it is. Mm-hmm. Symbol ADT, 102 million shares outstanding, selling at a mere nine cents. You know, um, there is an old saying I used to hear, this would come from the mainstream brokers in the U.S. that would say, stay away from those Canadian stocks. Of course, they didn't want to sell, they didn't want their clients buying Canadian stocks, but they used to, I used to hear this guy used to say, you know, all, all the, it's this company called Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe is the name of the firm that sells these penny stocks. And I always thought, you know, penny stocks, how in the world could you buy them? But, you know, it's, it's perverse in a way, Ted, because... Uh, usually you want to buy things that are that are inexpensive, and you look at value, right? So tell us about what you like about this nine cent stock, Adroit Resources. Well, what I like most of all is uh, the uh, mineral that they're uh, getting into, which is antimony. Um, and antimony is uh, one of those um, minor metals. It's not a rare earth, but it is a rare metal, um, and. Uh, uh, it's basically used as a fire retardant. Uh, for example, um, you're probably like me. You leave your computer on 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, your plastic shell on the computer would melt if it weren't for the antimony in it. Mm. Uh, same with your television set. Uh, it's also used uh, in flame retardant uh, in children's clothing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a most recent development is in the technology area in uh, phase change uh, chips uh, that are replacing flash memory uh, because they're three times faster and, and there's an antimony content in there. 
uh, Samsung and uh, Micron are a couple of companies that are leading the way. Um, historically, about 90% of the world's antimony has been produced by China, um, and there's evidence that uh, they're running out. There was a Financial Times of London article earlier this year that interviewed a Chinese analyst uh, who said that uh, uh, they closed half the mines. Uh, last year. Now, that's not necessarily half the production, Mm -hmm. uh, but half the mines were closed. Uh, So the price of antimony has moved uh, much higher uh, over the past uh, couple of years, uh, which confirms that demand is rising and supply is decreasing. Uh, There's no antimony production in the U.S. Uh, Canada has one dinky little mine that was bought out by the Chinese. Uh, Europe has virtually none. Um, So it's a it's a it's a mineral that uh, that the world needs. Uh, it's been dependent on China for it, and now it's going to have to look to other places. Mm-hmm. So, Adroit has an antimony project in Italy, um, which uh, uh, was a historical area of antimony production uh, during the Second World War. Uh, antimony was important in ammunition, and the Allies actually bombed this part of Italy uh, to try and disrupt the production of antimony. So. Mm. Uh, this is where uh, ADT is looking. Uh, this summer they uh, have drilling plans uh, to establish a 43101 resource. Uh, with any success, uh, they'll be one of the major uh, antimony uh, operations outside of China. Uh, and it will also make them a target for Chinese companies uh, that have been acquiring antimony producers in recent times. Mm-hmm. So, so would their goal then, Ted, be to prove a resource and have someone else take them out? Is that their game plan? Yeah, well, I, I think um, that's certainly uh, a plausible end game. Uh, what, what they plan to do over the summer is uh, develop a 43101 resource, uh, and when that happens, uh, you know, the market will... Uh, give them a little more uh, valuation than they are now. Their market cap right now is under $10 million. Um, and uh, uh, ultimately, uh, as, uh, as they get uh, more and more information out there in the, in the public space, uh, then I think uh, uh, the Chinese companies or maybe even some uh, North American companies will take a hard look at them, and, uh, and that might be the end result here. Mm. Well, are they <clears throat> so? Are, do they have money in the till? They're going to have to raise some more capital. Yeah, they're they're in the process of raising some capital right now. Uh, about a million dollars they're looking for, uh, and uh, and this will be used uh, to uh, finance uh, their drilling in Italy and as well. They have a, uh, a, a highly prospective but uh, grassroots exploration program in Ontario. Um, and so uh, they have those two things going for them, and uh, uh, they're, uh, they're in the process of raising a little capital right now. Uh, Ted, can uh, people follow this company at uh, investmentpitch.com? Yeah, they can. Uh, for example, uh, if they go to our website and just punch in Adroit uh, or ADT, uh, they'll see an interview uh, that I did with management about, uh, uh, I guess, last year, late last year. Uh, so uh, it's it's certainly one of the ways to uh, follow the company and uh, and keep up to date on what's going on. Excellent. Well, it does sound interesting, Ted. No doubt about it. Uh, thank you uh, for passing that information along. That is about all the time we have uh, this week, folks. Uh, I should mention our newsletter promotion. You can get uh, trial subscriptions 
uh, introductory, low-cost introductory trial subscriptions to Chen Lin, Roger Wiegand, and my own newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to our website at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Each of those are separate subscriptions, but you can get a one-time only trial subscription to see if you like what we're doing. Uh, next week, our special guest is going to be Ian McAvity, a uh, very well-known technical analyst, been on many years, uh, an old, uh, used to be frequently uh, with, Ru- um, with um, Mr. Rukeyser on PBS. He's an excellent uh, forecaster of markets, a really highly regarded fellow. Ian McAvity, will, Ian McAvity will be our main guest, so you won't want to miss what he has to say. In closing, I want to thank... Um, the staff at Voice America for making this show logistically possible. Tacey Trump, my executive producer. Ruben Klom, operations manager. Justin Jackman, my crackerjack engineer. I want to thank each of those folks for making this show possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America business channel. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. <clears throat> Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.